Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim, and it's fantastic to be together this morning. Uh, we've got a couple of things I want to let you know about, and then we'll uh, get into this lesson as we wrap up this series on uh, do-overs. Let's see. The first thing is, in your bulletin, you're going to see there's going to be a financial meeting for members of the church. You want to come on a Wednesday night, I believe. That's fe- is that February the 8th? 6 p.m. here at the building. And then the other thing is, next week we're going to be starting a new series called As for Me and My House. We're going to look at what happens to a family when God is involved. And we're going to be spending several weeks looking at that as well. If there's ever a time our families are really at risk and under attack and at the same time need to be protected by the shield of God, it's it's now. So we're going to be looking at lots of different families in the Bible and what kind of lessons can we learn. If you're interested in having a a good, solid family, this is a perfect series for you. So here we are in uh, finally wrapping up this, uh, finishing this uh, series on do-overs here in January. Uh, And uh, today what I want to talk about is finishing what God starts. Years ago when I was working with small kids, we had a little button we used to have, it's, it's, and it said on the button, I did it. And a lot of people are thinking already, what did they do? What did they do? These little kids. Well, what they did was they memorized the names of the Bible, and they were able to give them in order. They were able to start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. And I remember when we made these buttons, it, it was the 66 Club. The 39 Club was the New Testament, or the Old Testament. The 27 Club was the New Testament. But when you got that badge that said 66 Club or I did it. I remember one time a four and a half year old boy was able to give all 66 books of the Bible. I remember sitting there going, okay, go ahead in front of all the kids, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and I went close enough. Joshua, Judges, Woodbook, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I went, holy cow, slow down, Daniel. And then he goes to the minor prophets, which is where everybody gets confused. And he goes right through. Notice I'm not even quoting them because I'll get confused. Right through them he goes. And then he gets into the Matthew, New Testament, and he flies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, and on and on and on. Acts, Romans, First Corinthians. I went close enough. Gets to, and revelation. And the kids go, ah. And, and he's, gets the, where's the button? And he's walking around among the adults going, I bet you, you can't do this. <laughs> isn't, isn't it something, it's something special about finishing what you've started, whether it's a project or a race or maybe just finishing, uh, maybe getting a diploma. And, you know, I'm finally out of school. I'm listening to graduates say, man, I've got all this free time now. I was cramming my head full of information. Now what am I going to do with all this extra time? Well, there's plenty to do. There's no doubt about it. But just the idea of it's just so rewarding to do that. And I, what I was noticing, it, what captured uh, this whole idea of finishing what God started, was that finish, starting and finishing are a common thing in the Scriptures. In fact, you see the word start and finish early in the Bible. Look up here on the screen. The very first verse of the very first chapter of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the sky and the earth. He he created the heavens and the earth. It starts off with starting. And in chapter 2, verse 1, look what it says. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. Right off the bat, God wants us to know at the very beginning of of the Bible, He 
will finish what he starts. He wants you to know that. That whatever God starts, he'll finish. And Danny talked a little bit about that uh, during the Lord's Supper. When Jesus said it's finished, it was a mouthful, folks. He was saying a lot of things were done and over with. And something new was starting. This is especially true when you, when you think about this. Uh, this idea of starting and finishing or finishing what's getting started. When it comes to this, this idea of becoming a Christian. Jesus used that term, well, had a term for that. It was called born again, starting again. And uh, here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this to some people, to some Christians, early Christians, who had decided to follow Christ and trust him with their life. It says when someone becomes a Christian, the Bible says, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. And look what it says there. A new life has begun. And that's really what what God wants to do. He wants to start a new life in everyone. But he's not just done with that. He wants to finish this, what he started. Look what it says in Philippians uh, 1 verse 6. Paul promises the early Christians at Philippi, God began doing a good work in you. He's referring to that time when they were born again. And he will continue it until it is finished. When Jesus Christ comes again, and he goes, and, and just as a tag, he says, I'm sure of this. I'm confident of this. And you know, God wants you to be confident knowing that whatever he has started in your life, when he starts something, he wants to finish it. He wants to finish it with you. I think it's an awesome thought when you step, stop and think about it, that God start, want to start something in me, something in you, that, that, that he, uh, no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter how far I've come, he wants to start something new. And on top of that, he wants to finish it and complete it. And it's a good work. He's so, it's such a good work. God is all in and wants you to be all in. He's all, he's, it's, he's like, I've done, I've done everything I can to clear the slate, to wipe it clean, to get rid of the guilt and the filth and the shame and then build on that. New ideas and new thoughts, a new a new outlook, new habits, just a whole new way of living, a new character, and a new mission. See, God does not want to finish something without you. In fact, He won't finish it without you. You're just a big a bigger part of it as as He is. You say, "Well, you mean is it fifty fifty? Probably." 99% God, 1% us, you know, that sense. But there's a part, there's an element of what I bring to this project that God has started in my life. And that's what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what does that mean uh, and how, what can I do about this and what can, what, what's my part in this? Because I want to finish. It starts, first of all, number one, I share God's dedication to finish what He starts. If I want to finish what He starts, I must share that dedication. I must want to. Steve Prefontaine was a long-distance runner when I was a teenager. He, he uh, participated in the 72 Munich Olympics. He, he uh, raced 5,000-meter, uh, 10,000-meter, the mile, the three-mile. He was in everything. His high school records are still standing today in his high school in Eugene, Oregon. One of the things about him was he was he was incredibly dedicated to the craft of running. And if it hadn't been for a car accident, he would have participated in the next Olympics and they believed he would have dominated the sport. 
Here's what he says. Here's a quote from Steve Prefontaine. He says, somebody may beat me, but they're going to have to bleed to do it. What's he saying? They're going to have to be really, really dedicated if they're going to beat me because I'm dedicated. I don't know how you are, but some of you have, have actually ran a marathon. I know some of you have ran five, 5K and 10K. Is there anybody here that's done that? Can you raise your hand good and high? You're still alive. Wow, that's fantastic. I have never done it. Most I've ever uh, ran is probably six miles, and I collapsed. And I'm telling you, I collapsed in the middle of a gravel road and laid there for about thirty minutes. And I, the doctor said, "You've had too many Big Macs." That's what he said. Stop eating the Big Macs if you want to run. So I stopped running. <laughs> That's what I did. Done. I've never, I've never, I've never raced in some five, I hear these guys, go, you know, Kevin Grove, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a 5k, a 10k, and I'm going, what is that? And he goes, and he tells me, and I go, yeah. And he's running, and you work your way up to this, and he's, he's watching his diet, and he's still doing, he ran Chicago, for crying out loud. Watch your diet, you train every day, you do all your, you do all your stuff, you eat your Wheaties, whatever it takes. I do not share that enthusiasm, I do not have the desire, and I have concluded, Without this desire, I will not win a marathon. Duh. Boy, I tell you, motivation's a big deal. And if you want to finish, if you want to finish what God has started, and listen, church, I know there's moments when we lose our motivation. I've lost my motivation many times in this, in this race that has been marked out for us. That race has been marked out for you. But if you want to finish, you've got to want to. You've got to want to. Somehow you've got to deal with that that res- that uh, resistance, that temptation to stop and go, I'm not going to stop. That desire, you know, if I'm if I'm going to quit, if if I'm going to stop, I'm going to have to bleed because I'm I'm in this thing all the way. So it starts with dedication, a desire. It starts with a passion to finish, an incredible, ridiculous desire to finish. Jesus Christ shows us, look how he felt about finishing what God starts. Jesus said, my food or the food that keeps me going. He says, this is so essential, it's like food. The food that keeps me going is that I will do the will, the, the will of him who sent me, finishing the work he started. Jesus says, it's like food to me. It's what I eat and sleep and drink. The Apostle Paul says it's this way. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. Church, I want you to know, listen, it doesn't, whatever you accomplish in life, the promotions, the paychecks, the titles, the trophies you might receive, the accolades, the milestones that you reach in life. And I want you to know, many of us here have reached some of these milestones. They don't compare. They don't even begin to compare with what God is going to give you at the end of this race and on life. All the stuff we accumulate on earth. Is not is it's not as important as what God offers you. Now you say, well, why? Because it's eternal. It's eternal. It's not just here for this life. I think Paul said something like that, didn't he? He said, if if it's just for this life, we're doing this, we ought to be pitied more than anybody. Why? It's like running a race. You really aren't going to end. You're not even thinking of ending because at the end of what God has planned for you and I is incredible. It's eternity. It's eternal. 
Look how Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Then he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, and he's talking about the Olympic games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. See, finishing what God starts is not automatic. Just because I sign up doesn't mean I'm going to finish up. No, it takes dedication. Years ago, I, uh, June 29th, 1977, I was baptized. And uh, it was a big deal for me. I remember asking Mike Napier, would you hold me under the underwater for a little while? Because I want to see if Jesus is there. Because we're supposed to be buried with Jesus. And under the water, I cracked my eye open looking for him. I didn't see him. And I remember coming out of the water and thinking, finally, I've done what God wants to do. Right behind me was a fellow by the name of Tom Wells. He was also from Mount Carmel. And I got to know Tom a little bit. And he gets baptized. And so we're both going home on on this high note. And within a week, we're working. The the church was doing some additional work, adding on some, some building structure. And so I was up there painting and doing whatever I could. You know, and so uh, I, and I hear some people talking behind my back and they're asking about where's Tom? Well, didn't you hear? And I'm listening. He's gone. What do you mean he's gone? And somebody says he, he, he's left God. It's been a week. A week. He signed up. Doesn't mean you'll finish up, folks. It takes dedication. I remember thinking while I'm rolling this paint on this wall going, they're not going to say that about me. They will never say that about me. They may call me a lot of things, but that's not what they're going to say about me. Tim's fell away. No, I'm going to be in for the long haul. And I had no idea the kind of dedication it takes to stay in the game. But church, you, you and I, we're going to be challenged all the time to stop, to quit. And God says, come on. I'm in this thing. I'm in it to win it. And I want you to be in it to win it. And let's work together And you know, together, we will cross that finish line. You can count on it. You can be as confident as Paul. Look how Paul goes on to say this. After he says all this stuff about going into strict training, he says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard to the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. I want to say that. There's times I can't say that. But I can always decide to start. Give it everything I got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. And he says, I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. It starts with dedication. It starts with that. I'm going to share God's desire to work together to finish this work. Because with God, it is possible to finish this race. Number two, I reflect on what God has already done. I need to think about what God has already done because there's times when, you know, it's a, it gets kind of tough. Look at the Bible says here in first, uh, in Psalms uh, 103 verse two, I will praise the Lord. I won't forget anything he does for me. Now, why is that so important? 
I think it's it's important because there's times when we start something and we're far enough away from the starting point that we can't see where we started, but we're too far away from the finish line to see where we're finishing. So everything looks the same and it looks like it's not changing. I heard it said that way one time, like like we leave the, the coast of the United States, we're going to Europe, and then we got in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and we can't see the coast anymore uh, where we left, but we can't see the coast where we're going. So everything looks the same. And it gets confusing. I'll never forget the fellow saying, here's what you do. What people, when people get this way, they, all they need to do is start looking up and start navigating from what's above. And he'll get you to that other shore. And I got, I got to thinking about this. This is how life is a lot for us. There's a point, there's a point between starting and finishing that is, seems miles apart. And it's there I have to decide what I'm going to do. I've remodeled both my son's homes. We bought them. They were, they were a mess when we bought them. Bought them cheap and then we went through them. And I remember sitting on a five gallon bucket in the middle of Matthew and Brian's living room. And the floors torn out. The walls are all shot to pieces. The place smells like urine. And I'm sitting there. It was a house that was previously owned by a hoarder. So it was just awful. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the of the living room on a bucket, bawling my eyes out. Just looking at everything, going, there's no way I'm going to get this done. They're, they're getting married. I'm not going to make it. Phone rings. Hello. Denise goes, how's it going? She's always, she's always upbeat. How's it going? Eh, what's wrong, hon? It's, it's, it's getting to me. It's getting to me. Talk me down. I'm ready to jump. And she's like, Tim, wait a minute. Look around. What? You just finished up over there. Look, you got that wall painted. The wiring is over here. The plumbing, you did, that was hard. You got the plumbing done, didn't you? Yeah. Man, you're forgetting all the stuff you've, that you've already accomplished. You know, after she started talking that way, I started getting excited again. I started getting a second wind. The same is true when it comes to God's blessings. All we got to do is just start thinking about all the things God has done. You say, like what? Well, start at the Red Sea and work your way up. We're starting a miracle in the Bible and go, wow, God is amazing. Look what God's done there. Look what God's there. Look at the resurrection. Look what God has done there. And then work your way up to your lifetime and go, you know, God got me out of this. God worked that out. God worked that out. God worked that out. And this isn't working right now, but I have a good idea that it's going to work out because all the other things did before me. It gives you a second wind to remember everything God has done. David was a man after God's own heart. This guy was, he was always after the Lord, but he had moments where it didn't look like he was really after God's heart at all. He had his moments. And, and one of the things I notice is, is that as he's experiencing some kind of, and we'll talk about this in a minute, a setback, look what he says here in Psalm 77. Once again, I will go over what God has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. I'm telling you, church, whenever you get tired, whenever you get weary, when you when you get discouraged, remember what God has done in your life. It will give you a second wind. Counting your blessings, lift your burdens. Let me say it again. Counting my blessings, lift my burdens. Psalms 116, 
The psalmist said this, what can I give to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? He's saying, what can I give back to God? What can I do? I think about what God has done and what can I do to finish the job? What can I do to finish strong? I reflect on what God has already done. When's the last time you did that? I'm not saying live on your past successes, but you need to remember the promises God kept back then. He still wants to keep today. Number number three, I rely on God while facing my setbacks. I mentioned just a minute ago, I don't care what it is, a race, a project, when you're, when you're getting an education, you're going to experience some setbacks. Some things just don't work out the way you'd like to. You get a cramp. You get hurt. Something, you find out, there's, oh, there's more to do here. I didn't realize there's a lot more to do in this, this house. And I thought, there's, there's, oh, this, this is going to take a lot more study or I, I got to see. <laughs> My wife made straight A's. I remember the first time she got a B. She didn't know what to do with it. I said, I can tell you, I got lots of C's. I know exactly. She was like, oh, how do you do it? I go, well, you just live with it, you know. <laughs> Accept responsibility, move on. No, we have setbacks all the time. Washington Roebling, who built, uh, was the chief engineer for the Brooklyn Bridge. It was a 14-year project in the 1800s when he, when he started on this thing. Early 1900s, I guess it was, somewhere in there. And one of the things about him was is that is that early on he went down to the job site as they were digging these deep holes to try to find bedrock, and he and he got the bends. He got, he got it so bad that he couldn't move. He was pr- almost paralyzed his complete body. He could not speak, and so for the next thirteen and some odd years, he he sat in an apartment with a telescope. His wife would position for him so he could see the work, and he learned this code. He, he had this code between him and his wife. He would tap with his finger on her sleeve instructions on what to do for 13 years. That's amazing to me. You know, in today's world, we're such snowflakes. We can't handle hardly anything. Snowflakes don't finish what they start. If your feelings get easily hurt or your capacity is this much, I talked about this last week, and I don't, listen, I, I reach times when I get overwhelmed. This week was an overwhelming week for me. It was a crazy week. My mother's in the hospital. She's back, thank God. Janet Bader's in the hospital right now. And then a host of other things. It's like the perfect storm of lots of stuff. And there was a time when I, Denise was like, Tim, can I, I want to talk to you about the laser treat. I'm just like, I'm ready to, ready to, ready to explode. She goes, can you talk about it? I'll try. I wanted to tap out code on her sleeve, you know. It was just too much. I know some of us can handle more than others, and I understand that, but I will tell you what, for us to finish, we have to deal with whatever level of capacity you have. We have to deal with those setbacks when we feel like, I just don't feel like it's not going anywhere. I feel like I can't get, I can't get to the next level or it's not working out. See, you have to go through the pain to experience the gain. It's still true. Anything worthwhile is going to have that. And you know, I know some of us here, 
we may say, I can't finish. And I'm with you on that. I can't finish either. But with the Lord's help, we can. The Lord's help. I can do all things through Christ, what Paul said. And he had all these limitations. All these setbacks. Guy was beaten with, with flogged. How many times? What, five times? And then with rods? Beaten with rods? Three times? Shipwrecked? Went without food? Hungry? Was in danger everywhere he went. I mean, no matter where he went, somebody was trying to kill him. And he ends up in prison. And what does he say? I can do all things through Christ. How can you say that? Paul, you're in prison. I can do, I can handle prison. I can handle this setback with God's help. And I think sometimes church, I, you know, I, maybe I, maybe I can't be resilient and everything, but I'm going to try to be a cornflake instead of a snowflake. At least get, some get a level up there, you know, and 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 try to toughen up, and, and God will give you and I this uh, this attitude. I was looking at this passage in Luke twenty one here on your notes and up on the screen. I thought it was very interesting. Jesus before the destruction of Jerusalem, he's he's asked, so when's all this going to happen? And he said, well, before that that finish of Jerusalem, the temple, before all this. He says this to his disciples. They're going to seize you and persecute you. Whoever they are. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And it's all going to be on account of my name. And so you'll, and listen, and so you will bear testimony to me. He says, but make up your mind. He says, you need to, here's your part, fellas. Make up your mind. Not to worry beforehand how you're going to defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and wisdom. You will be betrayed even by your parents and your brothers and your sisters and your relatives and your friends. And then he says, again, make up your mind. Stand firm and you'll win life. What do you say? Stand firm and you'll win the race marked out for you. Stand firm, keep going, and you'll finish what we've started together. So when I face these moments of disappointment and discouragement, I, I gotta st- summon the courage that comes from my faith. And I'm asking you, church, when you're feeling discouraged, something's bothering you, something's got you just tied up in knots, summon the courage that's in your faith in God, and you will get through that. You'll get past that setback. Trust the Lord, because He promises to help you. And here's number four. I keep my eyes on God's prize. I heard this this week. The most exciting part of a race is the end. Is that true? Man, the gun goes off. Pow! There they go. And the middle we know is brutal. But the most exciting part of, of any race, of any project, is the finish line. The last lap. Two minutes. Two minutes left in the game and Mahomes has got the ball and he's going to do a drive. The crowd goes crazy. It's the bottom of the ninth. Two out. An exhausted Olympian from a marathon enters the stadium for the very first time after 26 miles. Everyone stands on their feet and they start cheering. They're excited. But it's also exciting for the one who participates. 
Watch this clip. Let me show you what I'm talking about. My big worry was the, the heat, the humidity. You just try to, to put it aside and just concentrate on your race. My head and everything was still functioning. I, I knew where I had to go and through dehydration, your body cramps up. I kind of told myself, try to keep running, try to stay upright. My muscles just didn't respond. I knew if I would stop or sit down, that would be the end of it. I just was determined to make it to that finish line. It was quite special because they had they had a little ceremony beforehand. They had all the flags and they said, you know, they announced it's the first women's marathon. And so I think that besides running into in the Olympics, also being part of the first marathon was uh, was special. And, you know, you wanted to show that uh, it was the right decision for the Olympic Committee to let women run the distance because there's no you know, scientific evidence that they can't run it. And there were some, so many women ran marathons in, in just road, road races or around the country, just not in the, in the Olympics. And as the development shows, like in the United States, a lot of the marathons or the shorter races on the roads, the percentage of women now is sometimes bigger than the percentage of men. So it just shows you, you know, it was a good thing that they decided to do that because definitely I think that helped the women get involved into long distance running. The race for the women, it was the first event of the track and field. I remember warming up, still having my sweats on and just trying to drink a lot of water. and. Uh, and then the first, definitely the first half went pretty much according to my plan. I had a, an idea what I wanted to run at each five kilometer mark. And, and I looked at the women around me and some of them I knew from previous races. And I knew, you know, I knew I couldn't run with the leaders. I just wasn't that, that good. And, but, not everybody can win, and there were there were a lot of us, you know, that were just in 10th, 15th place, and we kind of ran as a group. And then, you know, after 15 miles or so, the field started to thin out, and you were running a lot just by yourself. And. Uh, and then I think maybe at 20 miles I, I started to to really feel the heat. But uh, you know I thought it's six six more miles, you know, and you made it till here, and you're not lost. And it, it looks it looks good. And then I think well then I, I missed the lost water station. I don't know if it was consciously or sometimes you're so focused or, or you're starting to focus on your body and anyway I just missed it and that definitely had an impact. 
for the last few miles. And I distinctly remember like the last mile I had to slow down and and coming into the tunnel, I really remember that because I thought it's 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 a little cooler in there and I knew from here on it's not that far to go. But the really one of the big problems I had was uh, you know, I wish I could have had water more, water more often, and especially since I missed that last station. And uh, and now the ruling at that time was that you could only get the water at these, I think, four or five stations that they had set up. I just got dehydrated, and that's why the lost when I got into the stadium. From you know, the heat was more intense in there, and also at that point through dehydration you, your body cramps up and that was my main problem my my head and everything was still functioning I, I knew where I had to go and and I, I kind of told myself try to keep running try to stay upright and my my muscles just didn't respond and so then you know it just deteriorated over the last 400 meters at that point it was just I'm in the Olympics I want to finish this race because this is my my one and only chance because I was already 39 and I knew another four years uh, there would be a very slim chance to, to qualify again so that made it if it would have been another race you know just another marathon I would have probably stopped I think just from the heat in that stadium, uh, I just uh, started to fall apart. But I clearly remember the cheering and the noise. It was just incredible. It was so loud. I, I didn't expect something like that. So that was, you know, clearly I can hear that and that probably kept me going too. There was a, a medical a doctor. He was following me closely and watching me and later on you know he said because there was a lot of criticism from the press they say oh they should have stopped me and things but he said you know he's familiar with these things and he said he was watching me closely and he said as long as I still knew where I was going and showed, showed sign of sweating that that it was okay and I you know, I read now or sometimes see tapes. It's not the first time that it's it's not uncommon in a hot, long race that people have problems. And I know of a, a couple other marathon runners that had the same problem, but it happened earlier in the race, you know, on the road, and then they they just uh, you know quit and and got got a ride or whatever and. With me, you know, just making it that far, I think it's different. You know, then I think every other person would have tried to to finish. I was very relieved and I was, you know, happy I I got to the finish line. And then at that point, I didn't care if I would be, you know, not feeling good for a week. The main thing was I made it and I didn't think, you know, that I had anything damaged.
painful. It was painful for the first, you know, during that last lap and the first hour in the medical tent, I was in a lot of pain. And uh, but then after two hours, I I was fine. You know what really surprised me in a very uh, nice way is all the compassion and and uh, the reaction of of just average people that were watching the games and then also of the athletes. I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't do well and I, I thought I didn't deserve all this attention and I really kind of felt guilty and other athletes they made me feel good because they were so supportive and I think that was one of the big memories I have from the games. At the time after the Olympics I would have traded anything for a 10th or 15th place and not having that what I thought was a spectacle but you know now looking back this time I can see that uh, people kind of identify with you and because they see the struggle and they see that if you really set your mind to it you can overcome a lot of obstacles so that uh, you know and it teaches you a lesson too that besides overcoming obstacles you have to get over some bad experiences and not dwell on it and just look forward and uh, learn something hopefully learn something from it let me read something to you here that's up on the notes it's in your notes and up on the screen i just want to encourage you with these passages there's a lot in that video I have fought the fight, Paul says. I have finished the race. I have served the Lord faithfully. Now a prize is waiting for me. The crown that will show that I am right with God. The Lord, the judge, who judges rightly, will give it to me on that day. Yes, he'll give it to me and to everyone else who eagerly look is eagerly looking forward to his coming. After the Hebrew writer just talks about a great crowd around the early Christians to the ones that are reading Hebrews, he says this, because of that, let us look to Jesus, the author, that is the starter, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, think about him, ponder on him, church, look to him. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and your hearts give up. I don't know, you know where you are this morning. I know it's, it's tough. Sometimes tough. Life is tough. I remember hearing Dan Allender in a book say, to live is to hurt. And sometimes we go through, we get injured, we get hurt, we go through pain. I appreciated her words saying, I've got to get past that and move on. I've got to keep going. And I hope and I pray that as we look at our new year coming up, the things you're starting, the things you're sensing God is starting in your life, that you'll also join Him and help and let Him finish these things. Let Him finish the plans He has for you, the hope in the future He's sealed for you. And may you pray this prayer. May this be your prayer this week that we find in Psalms 138, verse 8. It says, God, You will... Do everything you have promised. Lord, your love is eternal. Complete the work 
that you've begun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for your word, for the encouragement. Father, I know that many of us here started a race years ago, and some of us have just started a few months ago. And in a, in a way, we're, we're at the same place because we're experiencing that start, and we're ex- also experiencing the race that's marked out for us, the task that is ahead of us, the changes that you want to make, the new life that you want to begin. And Father, we pray that, that for those of us here that have made that commitment, Father, that you'll give us the endurance and the cooperation and the humility to cooperate with you uh, and, and, and see this, this, uh, the finish line together and cross it together. Father, for some of us here, we've not given our lives to you yet. We've resisted or we're not sure what we want to do. Father, I pray and we pray for everyone here that's in that place, that Father, that they'll make that commitment to you, that they'll let you begin, that they and you will start a journey, a race, a project, an achievement that's ahead that they learn and they experience the most exciting thing about Christianity, and that's crossing that finish line. We praise you, Father. Thank you so much for working today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you, O Lord, all my regrets, all my acclaim, the joy and the pain, I'm making them yours. And Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through. Use it for your glory, Lord. I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. Things in the past, things yet unseen, wishes and dreams that are yet to come true. All of my hopes, all of my Oh